Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Ahlan wa sahlan wa marhaban bikum to our respected listeners of Radio Voice of the Cape 91.3 FM. I'm your host Muhammad Sheikh and inshallah we hope that you will have an eventful afternoon with us on your favorite show Born to Serve. The month of Zulhijjah paved the way for great lessons for you and I being a believer in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We learned different different aspects. We learned of sacrifice. We learned of, uh, you know, acknowledgement and thanking others, thanking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so that he can increase upon us his favors, his bounties, his boons. I thought with regards to the ayah of inspiration for you and I, dear listener, Voice of the Cape, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions بَعْدَ أَعُوذُ بِاللَّهِ مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ الرَّجِيمِ أَلَمْ تَعْلَمْ أَنَّ اللَّهَ لَهُ مُلْكُ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ وَمَا لَكُمْ مِنْ دُونِ اللَّهِ مِنْ وَلِيٍّ وَلَا نَصِيرٍ As a Muslim, it is absolutely important of our belief to accept Allah subhanahu jalla wa'ala as being the ultimate creator, the ultimate provider. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions as the focus of reflection for you and I, respected listener, Alam ta'lam, do you not know, anna Allah, that most certainly Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala لَهُ مُلْكُ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ For him is the dominions, the kingdoms of the heavens and the earth. And subhanallah, we know in the past weeks of um, different, a different planet that was perhaps discovered, uh, making journeys just to our neighbor, was it Mars, Allahu A'lam, but just journeying across our fellow neighbor. I mean, we are so confined into this dunya, into this world, in earth itself. We have a superficial knowledge of the other planets. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's dominion and kingdom extends through everything, through everything. Imagine, through the rest of the planets, the galaxies, the stars, the universe, and what about the heavens? Something which Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa classified مَا لَا عَيْنٌ رَعَتْ وَلَا أُذُنٌ سَمِعَتْ وَلَا خَطْرَ عَلَى قَلْبِ بَشَرٍ That no eye has ever seen, no ear has ever heard, and no heart or mind or soul could conceive the beauty of the heavens. All these dominions belonging to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَمَا لَكُمْ مِن دُونِ اللَّهِ مِن وَلِيُّ وَلَا نَصِيرٍ Now the point of reflection as being a leader, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions, وَمَا لَكُمْ مِن دُونِ اللَّهِ مِن وَلِيٍ وَلَا نَصِيرٍ The point of focus for you, is there anyone but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that can be a guardian for you, that can be a helper for you? Respected listener of Radio Voice of the Cape, we impart on you, we ask of you to keep absolute trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in everything, every aspect of your life that you commit to. If you're a student, your studies is part of what you do, but the success and the driving factor behind it 
is trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As a businessman, the means of this world is for you to engage, to use your markets, to use different markups, etc. But the success behind your business comes from trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He is Ar-Razaq, He is the provider, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one that will ultimately provide for me. So in any venture that you set yourself out to do, any venture of your life, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala should be the core focus of trust. That is why, you know, when we reflect back on the wise words of our senior people, of those that are elderly in our community, they always tell us, they always tell us before everything, my child, recite Bismillah. Recite in the name of Allah. Why? So that little inkling can come into the back of our minds that my trust should be in Allah and then I set out everything to do. Now, with regards to this, we have, we have varying types of people with regards to trust in Allah. In the time of Umar radiallahu an, subhanAllah, an amazing, amazing incident. Umar radiallahu an walks on the outskirts of, uh, I'm not sure it was Mecca to Mukarramah, but out of the city. And he finds youngsters, you know, sitting around, lazing, resting, basically not cared or bothered about life. And youngsters that had energy and zest for life. So subhanAllah, Umar radiallahu anhu being the authoritative and disciplined uh, Amir that he was, he approaches these youngsters and he says, Oh youngsters, what what is it? Wow, how how is it that you know? I find you people full of zest, full of life, just lazing about. What what you know? Tell me what's happening with you people? Subhanallah. So they say, you know, oh Umar, our hearts, our um, you know, our tawakkul is totally on Allah, totally on Allah. We don't need anything else. Subhanallah. So Umar radiallahu anhu cautioned them and told them, Hey, 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 youngsters, listen here. A true believer, a true mu'min, أَنْبَتَ حَبَّهُ فِي الْأَرْضِ وَيَتَوَكَّلْ عَلَىٰ رَبِّهِ عَزَّ وَجَلْ Subhanallah. Beautiful words. That person who is a believer, أَنْبَتَ حَبَّهُ فِي الْأَرْضِ He plants his seed in the ground, and then he trusts, he puts his firm trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh-huh. So you make your effort and you keep your focus, your direction in Ar-Razaq, the ultimate provider, the ultimate sustainer. Then you get the other extreme of people. Oh no, my business does for me. My occupation does for me. Everything of this world does for me. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is missing out of the equation. So yes, indeed you will get lots and lots and lots of bounties of this world. Your heart, your focus, your motivation is driven towards working, towards earning, towards achieving. Huh? But what you will lack in your heart is appreciation for what you have. Because, because your tawakkul on Allah is void. That is why billionaires, billionaires are restless. They want to achieve more and more and more and more. But because they do not have a belief in any superior, superior being, because a Muslim does not believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, all his wealth 
is a means of worry or concern to him. When he loses it, it's a means and worry of concern to him. However, if his tawakkul is in Allah, supposing Allah takes that wealth away, this believer is now not as depressed, he's not as stressed because he realizes that Allah is the one that gave me this wealth and Allah is the ultimate one that can take it away from me. So as believers, as mu'mineen, we have to trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in absolutely everything that we do. Why? Ending our verse, وَمَا لَكُمْ مِن دُونِ اللَّهِ مِن وَلِيَّ وَلَا نَصِيرٍ a point of reflection for you, dear listener, and myself. Is there anybody but Allah that can be a guardian, that can be a helper for you? Respected listeners of Radio Voice of the Cape, inshallah, we will go for a quick ad break. And when we come back, we continue with our profile interview. Very exciting lined up just for you. So stay tuned and be with us. Welcome back to Born to Serve on your favorite station, 91.3 FM voice, Radio Voice of the Cape with your host Mohammed Sheikh. With us we have our esteemed guest all the way from Scotland, Sister Yvonne Ridley, who has made international fame and acclaim in terms of Muslim leadership, in terms of empowerment to different Muslimas and Muslims globally. Uh, Sister Yvonne, welcome back. Thank you. If we look at the world in general, there are attacks of terrorism that has been wide scale from North Africa, Libya to different edges of the globe, subhanAllah. Does it dishearten you that these attacks are actually perpetrated by so-called Muslims under the ban of Islam? When you look through history from east to west, north to south, um, there are are uh, atrocities that um, that happen um, sometimes uh, in the name of God mm. and uh, sometimes uh, through other causes for uh, land grabbing and occupation mm-hmm. um, and uh, it, it was it's one of these subjects that um, that you need a lot of time to discuss because uh, you know, one man's freedom fighter mm. is uh, is another man's terrorist. But Indeed. some of the acts that we have seen mm-hmm. in the name of Islam uh, bear no relation to Islam, mm-hmm. and I want to make that very clear because I'm deeply alarmed at the rise of ISIS, Mm. which, in my view, bears no relation to Islam at all. And you look at the leadership and the makeup of of that group, Mm -hmm. and they don't have any great scholars Mm. leading them. Uh, There are no great sheikhs who they look up to for Uh guidance or spirituality. we see images of ISIS fighters praying in the wrong direction because their knowledge of Islam is is not very good. Mm, they have a little bit of slice of knowledge, but um, quite clearly uh, their actions are wholly un-Islamic. Mm. Um, but unfortunately, some disenfranchised people are attracted to them. 
and and we have uh, random acts of terror being carried out by mm-hmm. franchises or in the name of ISIS. And I think that the the majority of Muslims in the world today just totally despair at this this group. Subhanallah. Um, and and we're all feeling the impact of it because our enemies use ISIS mm-hmm. as an example um, with which to throw in our face and and yes. despite all the protests we make, Absolutely. saying this has nothing to do with Islam. Mm-hmm. Uh, it it's uh, it's you know ever present. Subhanallah. Yes, indeed. I mean, it's it's something that we all take to heart. Something that we express, you know, absolute um, worry and concern about the state of affairs of our Muslim brothers and sisters in the global ummah, the global Muslim village. You know, sometimes uh, in life we have many curveballs thrown at us, filled with stresses, filled with. Uh, you know, happiness at times. Uh, as a leader, as a leader, perhaps maybe if you could enlighten us with some of your personal stresses or any doubts that you may have and the manner in which you manage them or you overcome them. Well, I don't consider myself to be a leader. Hmm. And, you know, on the Day of Judgment, we won't all file behind a leader we will have to account for ourselves. So as Muslims, you know, we have to be responsible individually Mm. and can't blame anyone if we're led astray. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, that's something first and foremost that um, each and every one of us is an ambassador for our faith and each and every one of us is accountable for um, how we portray our faith. Mm. And if we walk out of the house in the morning, kick the neighbor's cat, spit Mm. on the pavement, um, throw litter on the ground, what does that say about Islam? You know, Mm. we, we should really look at ourselves and get ourselves into a position where, um, you know, I know many of us strive to be good Muslims, um, inshallah, but inshallah. we should get into a position where we really try to be a, a great example. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that, is, uh, that is something that, uh, that we should do. We don't really need leaders. Mm, um, indeed. For some reason, you know, I'll meet people, uh, who's your sheikh? Well, I don't have a sheikh. <gasps> well, which school do you follow? <laughs> well, mm. I don't follow a particular school. <gasps> well, what sort of Muslim are you? You know, are uh-huh. you a Sufi? Are you a Shia? Are you a Sufi? And I, I, every time I say, what would the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, so say if you Islam. asked him, what sort of Muslim are you? What's your Akida? What school do you follow? No. Um, there is no need for us to try and put ourselves into boxes to follow sheikhs. God gave us um, a great mind and we should use it. And, you know, on the day of judgment, when we have to account for our actions mm. on this life, we can't say, oh, well, speak to the sheikh because he... Uh, he he's the person I have been following and, and uh, you know, no, we have to speak for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And 
So this this is something um, I think sometimes we tend to overcomplicate Islam. It's mm. so easy to understand, and it's about what you can do, not what you can't. Subhanallah, what you can do, and what you, it's not about what you cannot do. And I think uh, in aspiring to be a leader, those are important words that should ring a bell in our quest every day in coming closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Respected listeners of Voice of the Cape, stay with us inshallah. We'll go for a quick ad break and we'll be back shortly. Welcome back to Born to Serve on your favorite station, 91.3 FM Voice of the Cape with your host Muhammad Sheikh. With us we have our esteemed guest all the way from Scotland, Sister Yvonne Ridley, who has made international fame and acclaim in terms of Muslim leadership, in terms of empowerment to different Muslims and Muslims globally. Uh, Sister Yvonne, welcome back. Thank you. Let us maybe drift a little bit closer to your edge of the globe. You know, I've always grown up uh, thinking of Scotland, bagpipes and, uh, you know, the awesome weather, etc. like that. What is the feel of, of Muslims? What is the feel of the Islamic community in Scotland? Well, the Islamic community in Scotland, I think, is quite different to their counterparts in England. And I've lived in both communities now. Mm. Um, the Muslims in Scotland are more confident about who they are. Okay. They're confident about being Muslims, but they're also confident and proud to be Scottish. Mm. Um, they don't dilute their faith <laughs> to fit in, and oh. nor um, are they asked to uh, dilute any aspect of their faith to fit in. They don't have the same pressures that, um, unfortunately, uh, brothers and sisters um, in England do. And I think this is for a couple of different reasons. Of course, there's a move for independence in Scotland, and so, you know, there is a Scottish government which mm. has a separate legal education and a variety of other independent systems in place. And this government uh, really promotes the Muslim community, even though it's probably around only 2% of the, the population in Scotland. And I was, went on a, a demonstration just a couple of months ago mm. in Glasgow, and, and we were very concerned at the treatment of asylum seekers uh, in the UK, people coming to the UK in the way that they are treated uh, mm. by the basically the Westminster government. And the um, overseas minister, Hamza Yusuf, a Muslim, mm. was standing next to me and he made this speech and he said, I have a message to the asylum seekers here today who came to Scotland Thank you for choosing us. Thank you for coming here. And I just thought, wow, this is amazing. You know, there there is a government minister standing up, mm. praising um, the arrival of asylum seekers, extending the hand of friendship, and thanking them for choosing Scotland. And then, you know, just uh, last week, we had mm. the British Prime Minister referring to the crisis in Calais where he described swarms of migrants, mm. you know, just totally dehumanizing 
these people who were in horrendous situations having fled countries actually that Britain and America have bombed. Subhanallah, yes indeed. I mean, one of the things that we uphold as a Muslim ummah, the word Islam stemming from the word peace, you know, upholding the integrity of our fellow Muslims, offering that same humanity, that same decency that we'd love to offer our own families, subhanallah. Uh, We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to change the condition of the plight of the Muslim ummah to that of safety and prosperity. Uh, Sister Yvonne, what do you think about, you mentioned previously about government ministers, in general, parliamentarians, leaders of the the world, you know, have a sense of intimidation, perhaps, maybe because of the authority that they carry or the burden on their shoulders. Um, you know, do you feel that we should really be intimidated by them? And um, how, as a Muslim, uh, do we combat this, this worldly authority of our leaders? Well, uh, these are the elected leaders. Mm-hmm. And this is why it is important for Muslims to become involved in elections. Mm. Um, it, it's very important. And, and I guess that of all the Muslims in the world today, none know the value of democracy, mm-hmm. probably more so uh, than the Muslims in South Africa who fought alongside Nelson Mandela mm. to ensure that... Uh, apartheid and discrimination would come to an end. I know it's still not perfect and there's still struggles, but it is important to engage. Mm -hmm. And when people say to me, voting is haram, democracy is haram, I say, how was Abu Bakr elected? Mm -hmm. You know, it was... um, what happened there? Well, of course, he was democratically elected. He was uh, chosen... Mm-hmm. Uh, to represent the owner. And uh, so, you know, right at the very beginning, mm. there is evidence of democracy. Subhanallah. And uh, so I, I would um, submit that it isn't Haram and that we should get engaged. Mm. And, you know, we, um, as Malcolm X said, If you sit there and feel sorry for yourself and don't do anything about your condition, nothing Mm. will change. But if you rise up and you get angry and you do something about it, then there are chances that you will bring about change. Um, Wasn't a direct, exact quote. But uh, (laughs) again, you Mm. know, we don't have to look that far for, for great inspirational leaders Mm. and um, you know this is uh, this is something that uh, we have to become involved with Mm. and um, and I I believe that uh, a lot of Muslims are actively involved in government in South Africa Mm -hmm. and South Africa you know I visited last year and it holds a very special place in in my heart Mm, um, because the the constitution Ah. is so groundbreaking Mm -hmm. and one of the things embraced within it that really resonated with me is that um, everyone's citizenship is a guaranteed right 
and stuff and yet like that. in Britain people are having their citizenships withdrawn and I find that astonishing mm. that uh, the British government is using um, the security machinery of uh, apartheid South Africa mm. to, um, to you know copying certain aspects of that and it's it's quite uh, quite shocking so you know it's it's important that we do engage mm-hmm. uh, with politicians it's important that we do challenge them that we do hold them to account it's important to get involved in the um in the democracy that is affecting all of our lives yes absolutely i mean fighting towards justice towards freedom and towards um you know having your right of religion being freely ex- expressed is something that we should all um you know maintain and something that has been fought by by the muslims of south africa that aligned themselves to the nelson mandela era in which they uh, you know they become they became an instrumental figures in uh, you know maintaining this for generations to come subhanallah uh, you know just to divert a little bit in terms of um, you know retrospect Islamic history has absolutely amazing lessons and one or the other has an impact on us, uh, you know, different, different incidents. Is there a particular incident of our history that brings perhaps maybe a tear to your cheek or something that gives you the thrive, that motivation to do what you do to inspire others? Well, there's a a woman who was one of the companions um, around the Prophet, peace be upon him, called Al-Shifa bint Abdullah. And she was one of a few of her generation during the pre-Islamic era who could read and write. And she became highly valued as Islam developed because of her knowledge. And the Prophet mm-hmm. Muhammad, peace be upon him, asked her to pass on her knowledge of Rakaya to other women. And, uh, but her reputation and wisdom really reached its height during the second caliph's rule. That was Umar, mm-hmm. who succeeded after Abu Bakr. And he saw in this woman a great... Mm-hmm. Um, skill and and talent and he appointed her as a public administrator Mm -hmm. in charge of the markets the economy of Medina Mm -hmm. now imagine that a woman uh, running the economy in Medina Mm -hmm. and and this is incredible absolutely when you look at the position of women in Islam today and Mm -hmm. I'm sad to say we have gone backwards not forwards. Mm. You know, the Americans had headline news three or four days ago because two women had uh, passed a tough soldier recruitment test um, set by special forces Mm. and that they had become uh, rangers. And and this was incredible. The first two women in the history of the American military to gain a pass – in mm. and and become rangers, but they will not serve in a unit because mm. the Americans are still like a lot of Western armies 
agonizing over whether they can put women in the front lines or not. And mm. yet we had some amazing women who fought on the battlefield oh. uh, alongside the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. So there were women soldiers of Islam uh, mm. right from day one. And here in Al-Shifa bint Abdullah was a woman who was running the economy. Now, if she was running the markets in Medina, Mm. She. That means that uh, people had to consult her. She uh-huh. had uh, to uh, police any shenanigans, any dirty dealings, <laughs> and mm. uh, and she was the final word. You so. know, if she said this is wrong, then the the market uh, traders and shoppers would have to comply with what she was telling them, and she did such a brilliant job. Mm, that um, Umar would consult her on other issues of government and bearing in mind this was the caliph who expanded Islam at a staggering rate and at the height of his rule he Mm -hmm. was you know second caliph and he was ruling over today's Iran, Iraq, the Arabian Peninsula Mm -hmm. um, the Caucasus, Egypt, large parts of Turkey, Central Asia uh, Yemen, Pakistan, Afghanistan, um, probably two-thirds of what had been the Byzantine um, Empire. Mm. And he would consult with this woman. And he was so impressed with her wisdom and intellect and the way in which she had managed the economy and the markets in Medina that he then went on to appoint another woman uh, Samra bint Nahaik to become market controller in Mecca mm. which means that these markets the mm-hmm. traders and the sellers must have been a mix of men and women Subhanallah, yes indeed uh, you know, absolute point of reflection and food because for thought Because a bunch of men wouldn't have sat and, 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 <laughs> uh, and allowed a woman to tell them uh, how to run their business and, mm-hmm. and uh, what they can buy and what they can sell. And uh, yet they they did with uh, these two women, which tends to suggest mm-hmm. that the markets must have been mixed. And when you consider the, the prophet's first wife, Khadija, mm-hmm. Khadija um, mm-hmm. you know, a, an amazing woman, an international business trader, she must have been a really tough cookie to have, been able to survive mm. in that uh, period, pre-Islamic period, where you know the, the, the Arabian Peninsula was lawless, um, but she was a successful businesswoman. So, you know, there are to sisters out there um, mm. who feel as though they're not getting a fair shout in uh-huh. their community. They really need to go back to these examples and say, how is it that Khadija um, became as prominent in society as she did? Mm. How come uh, women were running the economies? How come women were on the battlefield? How come women uh, scholars um, came to prominence um, a quarter of the Hadith are down to one woman? Aisha. Mm. So, you know, subhanallah, we've got 
amazing role models mm. um, there that uh, that you know we need to use to challenge our place in the Muslim community. And I have to say, mm. I haven't come across a single man yet who mm. is foolish enough to challenge the word of God and the mm. Quran, which is the word of God, mm-hmm. makes it perfectly clear, crystal clear, that women are equal in spirituality, worth and education. Absolutely. Subhanallah. Shuh, I'm really, really inspired by that anecdote of history. Uh, if you're not radicalized yet, you're not paying attention. Think about it. <laughs> Respected listeners of Voice of the Cape, we have with us all the way from Scotland, Sister Yvonne Redley, who has just inspired us today. We say a heartful thank you, Jazakallah Khair, Ahsanul Jaza, for taking the time out and inspiring our listeners today. And uh, we ask that Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala grant you only the best in your field, keep you safe with, pros- with safety and prosperity, and raise you amongst the noteworthy Muslims on the Day of Judgment. Well, thank you very much. I mean, respected listeners of Voice of the Cape, stay with us, inshallah. We'll go for a quick ad break and we'll be back shortly. Welcome back to your listeners of Radio Voice of the Cape 91.3 FM. In our previous weeks, we looked at different aspects of Hajj, different lessons that we can garner from the experiences of Hajj and we could use to make our lives better in our ultimate objective of coming closer to Allah Jalla wa'ala. Now, with regards to the actual aspect of Hajj, many people have this notion that Hajj is a means of cleansing, you know, a means of purifying me and uh, making me feel better. Now, technically, a person is under a misconception because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not define hajj as means of cleansing or purification. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala labeled zakah, purification, by means of a person's wealth, right? So a person gives in the part of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protects him, protects his wealth, etc. So hajj is not necessarily cleansing. And because of this misconception, many people hold back. They procrastinate every year. And they say, you know what, I'm not ready for this cleansing, so I'll do one more year of, of, of uh, mischief, I'll do one more year of, of bad things, and when my time is right, and, and, and um, you know, keeping in mind... Um, uh, the difficulty of getting Hajj quotas, etc., of getting Hajj accreditation, then then only my labbaik will be there for me, and I will go for Hajj. Subhanallah, my dear respected listeners, Hajj is something that a person should aspire for from the time he is mukallaf, from the time he has reached bulugh, and you know it's it's rather ironic. That in terms of our worldly ventures, our worldly pilgrimage, when a person reaches the age of Bulu from 12, 13, 14 onwards, you know, he has this little bank. Um, uh, you know, many of us have experience with this uh, so-called piggy bank, and we hope, inshallah, for our listeners, it's not piggy, but a little storage area that we, we keep and we load in money all the time. And the only time we open it is when it's really overflowing or when we absolutely need it. And I've mentioned this to previous youngsters out there as a means of analogy as a means of ex- an example that when 
you know, many of us, uh, especially our older people, relate to it. Back in the day, uh, you know, perhaps the, my favorite biscuit would be Romani creams. Was five rand a box, and now it's twenty rand a box. But because your heart is there, and even though you complain five hundred times about the rate of inflation, your heart is there to eat it. You will make that time. You will make that effort, and you will go and buy this box, this uh, box of biscuits. Subhanallah, because your energy is there. So the energy, the drive, the motivation for Hajj should begin right from a person's uh, age of mukallaf, age of bulugh. And what are the benefits of this? Is generally in many households the saving savings at the you know under the mattress or somewhere in the house. It's something rife. Everybody, almost everybody, does it. You know, saving money for future etc. Saving money for a future uh, university career. Saving money for different different aspects. And yes, if our motivation, our uh, our heart is not there in saving for Hajj. Shaitan will come by the way, you know. He'll tickle our shoulders. He'll tickle our conscience, and he will drive us to utilizing all that hard-saved money of, of you know, um, perhaps when I was younger, washing cars or uh, you know, selling selling biscuits or whatever it may be, whatever it may, sweat that you placed in that money box, you know, it will drive you. Shaitan will tickle you towards spending it in an avenue that is haram. And more relevantly, we've heard of uh, youth, you know, subhanallah, that been saving for Umrah. And, you know, every time there's, uh, uh, you know, something major, uneventful that comes up, then uh, money bank gets open and all the saving goes there. And more recently, you know, many of, our, many of us are geared and focused at one direction and, uh, you know, the implications that we have it drove a storm amongst lots and lots of people subhanallah you know you open your bank and whether the ticket is a grand it's two thousand you just want to go because it's so soothing what more soothing can be the call of allah azza wa jal the labbaik which allah has written for you in terms of accepting his invitation to makkatul mukarrama madinatul munawwara may allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Make thus, make that a reality for all of us out there. So savings for Hajj, inspirations for Hajj, motivation for Hajj starts from a very young age. And let us make it part of our ambitions, not just for, um, you know, um, going on holiday, not just going for, you know, towards our university career. If you have to open up an account, whether it's a bank account, and you put in a 10 rand every month, or 50 rand every month, or 500 rand every month, according to your means, make that intention for Hajj, make that um, firm resolution, that irada for Hajj, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will grant you that labbaik. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will grant you that invitation that, Oh my servant, ya ibadi, oh my servant, now it's the time for you. Now I've made it compulsory upon you. I want you to come to me. I want you to come to my house, the most noble of houses, the most grandest of houses, which none can replicate or no other structure can resemble in this world, the Makkatul Mukarrama, the beautiful Kaaba, etc. And in the process, in the process, Allah will ensure our cleansing. Allah will ensure our cleansing. Why? Because Hajj, is a physical aspect, it's an emotional aspect, it's a mental aspect, it's a state of health aspect. Lots and lots of factors revolve around a person's preparation towards Hajj. But as with everything in life, 
everything in life or many things in life is driven by our inner determination if we are determined to buy that box of biscuits because even though even irrespective of the rate of inflation etc we will go for it we will buy it and we will enjoy it sumptuously so as a means of determination for us to get this pilgrimage to get this labing from Allah let us uh, begin at an early age and for our parents out there make it a habit make it a habit amongst your children encourage them set aside a fund for them if you have to we are so worried about universities we are so worried about future education etc but this once in a lifetime fulfillment of our deen pillar of Islam make that also on your priority bucket list may allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us the ability of saving for this wonderful venture of preparing ourselves for this wonderful venture and allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the opportunity of performing hajj year in year out now respected listeners of radio voice of the cape many of us may not have the ability to actually go and perform hajj due to varying reasons due to varying reasons some of them financially we are we are unable to or some of us because we are you know we do not have the capacity to do so we do not have the the health capacity we are unwell our our health status is not there so there are various other means or um you know various other um channels we could use and allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give us will give us the reward of an accepted hajj imagine hajjun mabrurun an accepted enlightened hajj you want the reward for that a simple simple avenue nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam mentioned with regards to the performance of salatul ashraq that is the optional nafil salah after after the fajr that is after sunrise a few minutes about 12 minutes or so after sunrise to perform two rakats four rakats of an of 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 salatul nafil with the intention or of salatul ishraq allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will grant you a hajj and umrah maqbool hajj and umrah mabrur isn't that so easy imagine every day of our lives we perform this beautiful salah and because it's difficult you know we're all rushing traffic etc once we get to our places of work our places of study our places of occupation put your musallah down make those four rakats imagine every day of your life on your account there is a hajj mabrur written respected listeners of radio voice of the cape inshallah we'll go for a quick ad break and we'll come back soon. Say, stay tuned. Welcome back to your listeners of Radio Voice of Cape 91.3 FM. In our coat of the day segment, we have something that will make you ponder and contemplate. Mm. So the coat goes as, whenever you find yourself on the side of the majority, it's time to pause and reflect. Let's say that again. Whenever you find yourself on the side of the majority, it's time to pause and reflect. Hmm, intriguing. To me, it's very relevant, very relevant in our society. Seeing that everybody wants to follow the majority, everybody wants to follow the the mainstream in terms of everything that we do in terms of politics if this is a political party that is ruling ah uh, so happy go lucky we just follow the mainstream and you know 
done. It's 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 okay. And subhanallah, this might be slightly subhanallah. I can't even get the right words. But something that something that is uh, more for a point of reflection rather than a principle to follow. Because in the time of Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam, Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam mentioned with regards to the aspects of deen for the common person. The common person is to follow al-ijma' the consensus of of the Muslim scholars. So with regards to a particular matter that has a difference of opinion, then if a person who has no knowledge or no background about that particular matter, then he follows the consensus of the scholars globally of that particular aspect. If a person has insight to Islamic knowledge, if a person has studied deen, etc., then he is at liberty to go and analyze and look at the, the, the Quran and the Sunnah and the different um, you know aspects of Islamic jurisprudence and you know uh, consult with the ulama and if that's his passion and that's his really basically his occupation then of course he should rather opt for that and then obviously um, follow the ruling then again of the consensus of the scholars but we all know not everybody has the ability not everybody has the ability to um, you know go and take the liberty of studying in-depth Islam etc like the common person like myself for example and with regards to matters of differences of opinion we stick to mainstream or we stick to the general consensus of the ulama with regards to a particular matter now with regards to this um, this little quote there's something that comes to mind in terms of, you know, uh, sticking with the majority of aspects not related to deen, right? Aspects related to our social existence. And I mentioned political parties before, or rather social parties. Do we join organizations, institutions, and different societies because we are convinced, we are encouraged by a friend to do so? Because they look outstanding and have a beautiful website because um, you know they're very active on social media because they grant me incentives yes these are all marketing strategies for the organization but you yourself as an individual what is your objective in terms of joining something is it beneficial to you firstly does it contribute meaningfully to your life does it give you the ability to contribute meaningfully to somebody else's life if you can ask yourself these three questions at every juncture in terms of joining any bandwagon of majority, then you have yourself a creative, thoughtful leader. And as Muslims, that is what we are geared towards. Creativity, thoughtfulness, inspiration, all these different, different buzzwords to mold ourselves, to mold our character only for the benefit of coming closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, our ultimate objective. So, when it comes to matters of deen, in summary, we stick to mainstream scholars, or the mainstream consensus of scholars. When it comes to matters of the dunya, then we ponder and reflect and think. We also do that when it comes to uh, you know, matters of deen. But when it comes to matters of deen, we, after pondering, contemplating, reflection, if we do not have a resolution, we stick to 
the mainstream consensus of ulama. Whereas here, it's not, when it comes to our aspect like our social existence, it's not that simple. So, um, respected listeners, I urge you, I urge you to not just join anything willy-nilly or be part of any body willy-nilly. Contemplate, reflect all the time. And an important lesson as a Muslim leader and Muslim leader in inverted commas is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us a guideline whenever you seek out whenever you seek out to go and venture on something or to uh, require uh, you know guidance with regards to a specific matter ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam taught that to us by means of istikhara by means of asking Allah for guidance by means of prayer istainu Seek the assistance from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through patience in your venture and consistently turning to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in salah. So you make two rakats of salah, you lift your hands up and in fact there's a masnoon, there's a sunnah dua which Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa has taught us in terms of istikhara. You ask Allah, oh Allah, guide me, guide me, guide me to the answer for a particular matter or a particular situation. And then the hadith of Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa comes into play into this context. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa mentioned, istafti qalbak, seek the mufti of your heart. Let's say that again. Seek the mufti of your heart. What is your heart inclined towards? Obviously, after asking Allah for guidance, if your heart is inclined towards a specific situation, then go for it. If your heart is inclined towards a majority, then upon your wish, you join majority. But you've done your background research. You've placed your trust in Allah and you've sought guidance from Allah. Jalla wa'ala. So respected listeners, thought-provoking quote, and um, you know something as we should we should cont- contemplate and ponder about uh, regularly. We ask that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala grant us guidance in everything that we do in our lives. So, inshallah, we hope that you have a fantabulous weekend, week and weekend ahead, inshallah. And we hope, inshallah, that you keep myself and my family in your du'as as well as our staff at Radio Voice of the Cape. From myself, Muhammad Sheikh. Our producer, Sister Zufa Brown-Jabbar, and our engineer at the control desk, we bid you farewell. We ask that you keep safe, keep us and your, our families in your du'as, keep steadfast on deen. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.